Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. In all sincerity, this is my heart, and I believe this is actually God's heart. That every time the church gathers is a holy time, it's an anointed time, and the Spirit of God shows up to meet with His people. And He meets with people differently in church, in public, than He meets with you in home. I mean, I mean, even King David was writing, if I go down to hell, anywhere I go, I'm going to find your presence, and that's fine. But there's a difference between the presence of God in a general term and the personal manifest presence of God in that very sincere relational term. And that's what we're pursuing as followers of Christ, I hope. Um, so let's just read Matthew uh, chapter 2, 1 to 12, and uh, we'll put it up on the screen. It was a disaster to try and read together last night, so I'm not going to repeat that, okay? Uh, I'll read. You hum along in your head. You read along. Uh, if you can keep up, it's all good. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, starting. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we, he, we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, you are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and the star, which had been seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell on the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, what is so valuable about this act of worship that I think we could learn something from today? I mentioned this last night, that the wise men came, the magi, these, these learned men came to worship a child who could do nothing for them. And that's a very important part of this message today. But let's just, let's just think about this for a moment, the extraordinary risks that they took. As magi... Uh, um, I, I don't have time, or I'm not going to take the time to unfold all of this for you, but you can actually, you can do this research too in a good study Bible, or, I mean, God help us, Google. Google will help you do this too, um, with, with a fair bit of accuracy. Uh, so as Magi, what their, what their craft was, what their art form was, if you will, what their profession was, they were basically astrologers, palm readers, future tellers, fortune tellers, um, what if I went as far as to say this this morning? They were practitioners of the occult. Satanists. Now there's a spin on the Christmas story you've never heard before, I bet. But, but just think about it for a second. We, 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 we understand 
that the occult practices, and first of all, God actually forbids them through the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there were, there were occult people who encountered the, the disciples and the apostles, and there was a spiritual battle that took place, and there was deliverances and amazing things that happened. And so, so my point being that these magi were coming from a religious perspective that was exactly opposite that of the kingdom of heaven. Exactly the opposite. And, there, and there, just think about this. There is a, there's a tremendous risk in that. Some of you might have friends who have left a different faith to become Christians, and you know, I have, I have friends from many years ago who I won't see again until heaven who are Muslim, raised Muslim in West Africa, converted to Christianity. Their own families would try to kill them, poison them, uh, shoot them, knife them. It was terrible because they converted to follow Jesus from Islam. And, you know, I, I look forward to meeting them in heaven one day because I actually want to hear the story of how the rest of their life went. We got to pray with people who were in the persecuted church and, and live with them for a time when I was over there. And, um, and, and, I, and so I, I think what that would be like if you were this learned man, this, this, this wise man, this magi who practiced and dabbled in all of these arts and all of these, these pagan ceremonies and, and religious ceremonies that had nothing to do with Yahweh. I mean, you, you can't come from a more opposite perspective. See, these men were of the order who were not aligned necessarily with monotheism. They, they, they weren't. Now, it's possible that before the prophet Muhammad came and Islam actually showed up as a religion, which was around the 7th century after Jesus was born, um, it's possible that they were in some sort of Arabic um, monotheistic worship of God. But I, I just, I just want to share the possibilities with you and have you, get you thinking for yourself this morning on what the cost was to these men to do this. They were doing something that was far from what they normally did. These guys were, they were servants to kings. They were the wise men to kings. When Daniel, in the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, he was the one who interpreted the dream that Nebuchadnezzar was having when his magi couldn't interpret the dream. So this interaction between the magi as an opposite counterpart to what God's people do is, is, is well recorded through the Old Testament. And these are the same class of people, Okay. Uh, they were the servants and the, the, the guides, the wise men for pagan kings, for these nations who did not know or fear the Lord. And what place do, what place do the priests or the servants or the wise men of pagan ritual and pagan kings, what, what do they have to do with worshiping Jesus? This is an act that would have certainly drawn negative attention from their peers, from their fellows. It would be a radical departure from what their normal day-to-day -day was for them to go on this journey. And I have lots of questions for God. Maybe for them one day. For all I know, they put their faith in Jesus and, and we'll meet them in heaven. And I think that's going to be an exciting conversation to have. Leaving their faith, leaving their ritual, leaving their practice, leaving the security, their identity to worship a baby. They must have been convicted, convinced that he was something very special. So that's the first risk, is they were leaving the life they knew behind to come. And the Bible doesn't tell us if they went back and all was happy and, and wonderful in their life. It doesn't tell us anything about them other than that God warned them in a dream to go home another way. And uh, so, so that brings me to the second tremendous risk that they took, and that was the risk of Herod, the reigning king of Israel at the time. What do you suppose Herod would have done to them if they would have come back to him and said, we're not telling you where the baby is? Well, he probably would have put them to death. I mean, he, you know, he, or there would have been some diplomatic 
arrangement. They would have been arrested. I mean, whatever. We can only speculate. But there's certainly a tremendous risk in disobeying the order of a king. When you're, in, when, you're, when you're in someone else's land and you're an emissary, just consider the political ramifications of these three or, or four or whatever. Maybe it was only two wise men who came and then disobeyed very directly the order of the king of Israel by not going back to him, by not telling him where the child was. And if you think that Herod's threats or ther- the, the risk of Herod's wickedness was an idle threat, don't forget that if you read down in Matthew chapter 2, just a little farther around verse 20, Herod committed genocide. He had every male child murdered that was under two years of age. He was very serious and very much willing to destroy lives to prevent this future king from being established. So there's that risk, too, that they took. Um, and I marveled in that, and I've been wondering at that for a little while now. I'd submit to you today that the most expensive gift that the Magi brought to the Christ child was not the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Now, those are symbolically important because those are certainly gifts to honor a king. But I don't think that was the most significant offering that they brought. I think the personal cost of making the trip was ultimately high. Do you you know that it's actually possible that these men were put to death when they got home? Like just understanding the time that they lived in. It was nothing to be executed for trivial things. And I'm not not trying to create doctrine or or, or create a fact from nothing. I'm just saying just consider what you know of history, what you know of humanity, and appreciate this morning the risk that these men took in coming to worship this baby who could do nothing for them. It's It's profound to me. And the personal cost to them was very high. It was a risk-your-life kind of cost. So these wise men came to worship a child, as I said, a toddler, a baby, who could do nothing for them. Now, he would do something for them. And even in his birth, his arrival, things were beginning to unfold according to the plan of the Heavenly Father that were mind-blowing and amazing. I mean, we shared last night that, the cute story of what it might have been like to be an angel called up to duty to be a part of the heavenly host that's saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace towards men whom his favor rests. I mean, what a profound aspect that might be to consider. And I really do want you to consider these things because I think that so much of our heart is lost in the busyness of a season that we, for, we, we forget that what Christmas represents is God touching mankind. Not, not in a Not in the physical sense, but God brightening and enlightening the soul of mankind. And that's profound. That that kind of Christmas stops wars. That kind of Christmas reunites broken families and broken societies and broken nations. And that's the kind of Christmas I want to see us return to. So I'd submit that the most expensive thing that the wise men brought was probably the trip that they themselves made. The purity, and this is how Bill Johnson says it, the purity of abandonment in worship is that there are no strings attached. I give everything because of who you are and not because of how it benefits me. That's, that's, that's real worship. I give everything because of who you are and not for any reason in how it benefits me. 
to worship for how it benefits me is a subtle case of manipulation. And it is a subtle case of manipulation. It is the awareness of his worth that is the driving point of all true worship in his value, the value of God himself. The greatest gift to humanity is Jesus. And I think the problem for us in today's world is that we measure what we bring to God, maybe even to our marriages or to our families, guys and girls, men and women. Maybe, maybe our problem is that we measure what we bring by its value, not its intrinsic value. Maybe it's its financial value. Maybe it's the value of what it cost us in terms of our emotion or our energy. But we measure it by its value. But, but here's what I realize. What we are required to bring is actually measured by its volume. And this is the only time you're ever going to hear me say something like this because most of you who know me well know that I like excellence. I like music to sound good. I like a message to have polish on it. I like it to be engaging. I like our interactions as a church to have not excellence as a goal, but excellence as the pursuit. Because I think there's tremendous value in excellence and bringing the best thing that we can possibly bring. But the problem is, is when it comes to Jesus, and you and I think that we're going to bring our best, our best actually isn't what's valuable. Pastor Trav, what is valuable then? Here's what's valuable. You're all. And that's why I'm going to say in this case, in this case alone, I'm, I'm, I'm totally at peace with saying it. We make a mistake when we measure it by its, its value, even its intrinsic value. That unexplainable, that just, ah, it's got it. When really, the volume of your gift matters more. And the only reason the volume of your gift matters more is if it is not measurable because it's everything. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? See, the wise man brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and that was profound, and it was symbolic, and it was, it was actually prophesied that it would happen, so it was important that they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh to fulfill prophecy of the Old Testament, which is a part of what proves that Jesus, hundreds and thousands of years before, was predicted and prophesied, and it came to pass just as the Old Testament recorded it. It's an amazing part of the, of the historical, factual evidence that supports the claim of who Jesus is and who he was. But that was not the greatest gift. The real gift was that these wise men left everything they had to come in all that they had to worship a baby who could do nothing for them. Just think about that. And how often have you and I come into church to worship a God who can do everything for us, who can do anything for us, but so much of our worship has those strings attached. Our expectation if I can say it this way, our expectation, it actually profanes our worship. I want to be very careful how I'm saying that. Because I think that it's just a small shift I want to see us make. It's not a radical, doctrinal-like reorganization of the church. It's just the question, are you, are you offering today to Jesus as we come to worship him? Are you offering all that you have in this moment? Because he's actually worthy of all, not best. Now I gotta trust the Holy Spirit to bring that revelation into your heart because, you know, if nothing is all you have to give, 
that is by far the most valuable thing you can give. I don't want to come to church today because I'm too tired, I'm too grouchy, I'm too this, I'm too that. Okay, but, but what if the volume of your gift is what matters more to God? And God does have preferences about how we worship him. You want to know the first preference God has about worship? That you show up. <laughs> Man, if I had hair, it would all leave right now. Is that not, is that not a mind-blowing concept? What is God's first preference, his first priority of worship from his people? It's that they show up. And I'm not taking a shot at people who aren't here this morning, and I'm not taking a shot at a widow who sits at home and can't get herself to church in the morning and watches online because the roads are icy. I'm, I'm not... I'm not criticizing people who who watch our services online because they live 1,800 kilometers away and we're the closest thing they have to a church up near the Yukon. I'm I'm not taking a shot at that. But I'm just saying, if if we align ourselves with God's preferences for worship and we look at these wise men that came sometime in the two years after Jesus was born, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh are important and they're valuable and there's worth in that, but the truest value is in the fact that they came. And this is why we sing the old Christmas carol. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Because the most important thing is that we present ourselves in the presence of God. Because when the presence of a man, a human, and the presence of God meet each other, Something amazing happens. In the Old Testament, Jacob, who became Israel, what did he say after he wrestled in that place with God? He said, surely the Lord was in this place and I did not even know it. And that's our prayer for our church, that people will walk in here on a Christmas Sunday morning or on any Sunday morning or any time we gather to pray or be together or break bread or fellowship or hang out or laugh or cry or whatever it is. Our prayer, our hope is that people walk into this assembly with these people in our homes and in all the places we might meet and say after they leave, surely the Lord was in that place and I didn't even know it. Because when the presence of God crashes into the presence of men, something miraculous can happen. And not because we're worth anything. Because He alone is worthy. Honestly, church, this is my best preach this year. Because, because we can't miss it. And it moves my soul to the deepest places to think about that fact that we worship a king who has done everything, but we have to come to the place of worshiping as if he will do nothing just because he's worthy. And maybe you're struggling with that this morning, and I want you to know that's okay. Just bring your all. All your crud, all your crap, all your mess, all your brokenness. Bring that. Worship Jesus out of that, with that. See what happens. The disciples thought it was a waste of money that Mary poured perfume over the feet of Jesus after She wept over his feet, shed tears on his feet, dried them with her hair. Oh, what a waste. That's Man, if all you have to bring is tears to the feet of Jesus, bring your tears to the feet of Jesus because guess what? He's pleased with that. 
I have one final thought that is humorous, I think. The problem that we measure what we bring by its value when we're required to bring what we have by volume, let that be the thought that sticks with you. Bring everything you got. I mean, and if it's $6 million to help us build the next church building, we receive it in Jesus' name, hallelujah. Because that doesn't hurt either. But if five bucks is all you got, bring it. If tears, if you can't even sing the words with us in the songs in a Sunday morning because your heart is broken, let that be your sacrifice of praise. Your frustration can be a sacrifice of praise if you'll just turn it to him. So the, 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 the measure of what we bring is not in its value, but in its volume. We measure out gifts by our talents, our worth, our best, our this, our that. And the, tra- the tradition of Christmas is actually trying to teach us just to bring our best. And that's why we need to understand that our best is our all. And why else would they place this fictional character of the little drummer boy in the Christmas story? And it is, because he didn't make the nativity. I see no reason why a drummer boy would have showed up at the nativity. I can't imagine it. I don't understand why he would have showed up two years after Jesus was born, before Joseph, Mary, and Jesus fled to Israel, or fled to Egypt, sorry. Um, But nonetheless, the little drummer boy is there in our Christmas tradition. And I want you to, I just want you to hear this this morning with a smile on your face. Because who the heck wants a loud adolescent human showing up at nap time for your toddler with a drum kit? But what are the lyrics to that little Christmas carol so? I played my best for him. Parupapumpum. And so to honor him, I played for him. Just think about the lyrics to that song. And it's not a biblical doctrine in that song. Yet, when you understand volume versus value, and which God places his heart and his blessing and his love for It's your best, it's your all. And I absolutely love it. The worst thing for Mary is if this really happened, probably wasn't just one drummer boy, it was probably a whole drum line. Not just one adolescent teenager with drumsticks making noise, but maybe 10 or 15 or 20 of them. The drummer boy, like I said, that's a fictional attachment. As far as we know, that's just a fictional attachment to Christmas. Although... I'm totally open to the possibility that one day in heaven, we will meet this drummer boy that showed up somewhere. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why it's in the tradition. It got passed, it got put in and passed down. There are some things that are just a part of tradition. Some are true, some are exaggerated, some are completely false. I don't know. That's not the point. The story teaches us that the value is not in the gift, but the giving of our all and best. And so again, it's the only time you're going to hear me say this, church family. It's not the value, it's the volume. It's the volume. It's better than value. But only if that volume includes everything you have. The full volume. Not part, the full. It's the only gift that I can give Jesus, even remotely worthy of who he is, is my heart, my life, my all. So real worship is the giving of all I have with no strings attached. Because who he is is who he is, 
regardless of his benefit to me. I want to pray for you. And we're going to dismiss. No last song today. I don't think we need one. I appreciate that you came and sang with us and worshiped. And I, I literally can say this morning, I think I'm preaching to a choir. A, a, a group, a choir of people who showed up to worship on this Christmas morning. But let the message, let the Holy Spirit work these words in you. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for what you're building for every living stone, every living stone that's sitting in this house today. I thank you for them. I thank you for their families. Lord, I thank you for their victories, their brokenness, their pain, their defeat, their success, all of it, Lord. We thank you for all of it. Because, Jesus, that's what we want to learn to offer to you. And so, Father, in this Christmas season, I pray that as we meditate on your word, as we meditate on our memories of Christmas, that we we think back to where we found great joy in this season and in your presence, Father, that you would quicken it to our spirits, that you would bring it to our remembrance, that you would help us to enter every moment of today and the days that follow with an understanding that all you want is all of us. And my prayer, Jesus, is that we'll be able to give that to you. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.